You've just clicked into the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where we talk about money, cash, and clarity. Today, we got episode number one, Lessons from a Rich Dad. Hope you enjoy. Let's get it. What's the good news, people? It's me, the Money Misfit, your host, back for another episode of Get Your Money Right. And today, I'm excited about this one because today I'm going to be sharing with you some lessons from a book that literally broke the back on my old thoughts that I had about money. It was this book that actually got me to reading books again, right? Because, you know, let's face it, high school, I didn't, you know, middle school, I didn't, I wasn't a reader. I couldn't stand reading books. So, but it was this one that really changed the trajectory, my mindset around money. And I'm going to do something that I'm probably not going to do. Again, I'm actually going to read you an entire chapter from this book and then go over some of the, the just a few of the biggest lessons from this book. And But even though I do that, I'm going to encourage you to make sure you go out and get this book, buy it, get it from your library, whatever you got to do. But I want to get this book. But the, the title of the book is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, what the rich teach their kids about money that the poor middle class do not. And it's by Robert Kiyosaki and uh, co-authored with Sharon Letcher, who's a CPA. But those of you who have read this book, you know what I'm talking about. But if it's been several years or even several months since you've read this book, I'm going to encourage you to go back and read it again. And maybe it'd be something that you keep in your rotation like all the time because there's so many nuggets in this book um, that every time I go back in it, I learn something new. But because uh, of time, I'm going to go ahead and get into it. And like I said, I'm going to read you this first chapter. And if I put you to sleep, uh, wake up and try again. All right, here we go. This is actually the first chapter. And uh, well, let me first tell me what this book is about. Basically, Robert Kiyosaki has a story of two dads. One dad he calls his rich dad. And one dad he calls his poor dad. And his poor dad was actually his real dad. And his rich dad was his friend's dad, who at the time when they're growing up didn't have very much money, but he taught him some lessons of the rich. And his poor dad had a lot of money. He was a, um, you know, kind of a big wig in the school administrative. He was a six figure earner. He's one of those people. He had a pension, PhD, and all that good stuff. So that's the basic synopsis or the backstory that, that might be relevant for you. But let me go ahead and get into this. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is narrated by Robert Kiyosaki. This is chapter one. I had two fathers, a rich one and a poor one. One was highly educated and intelligent. He had a PhD and completed four years of undergraduate work in less than two years. He then went on to Stanford University, the University of Chicago, and Northwestern University to do his advanced studies, all on full financial scholarships. The other father never finished the eighth grade. Both men were successful in their careers, working hard all their lives. Both earned substantial incomes, yet one struggled financially all his life. The other would become one of the richest men in, in Hawaii. One died leaving tens of millions of dollars to his family, charities, and his church. The other left bills to be paid. Both men were strong, 
charismatic and influential. Both men offered me advice, but they did not advise the same things. Both men believed strongly in education, but did not recommend the same course of study. If I had only one dad, I would have had to accept or reject his advice. Having two dads advising me offered me the choice of contrasting points of view, one of a rich man and one of a poor man. Instead of simply accepting or rejecting one or the other, I found myself thinking more, comparing and then choosing for myself. The problem was the rich man was not rich yet, and the poor man not yet poor. Both were just starting out in their careers, and both were struggling with money and families. But they had very different points of view about the subject of money. For example, one dad would say, the love of money is the root of all evil. The other, the lack of money is the root of all evil. As a young boy, having two strong fathers both influencing me was difficult. I wanted to be a good son and listen, but the two fathers did not say the same things. The contrast in their points of view, particularly where, where money was concerned, was so extreme that I grew curious about, or curious about, curious, was so extreme that I grew curious and intrigued. I began to start thinking for long periods of time about what each was saying. Much of my private time was spent reflecting, asking myself questions such as, why does he say that? And when asking the same questions of the other dad's statement, it would have been much easier to simply say, yeah, he's right. I agree with that. Or to simply reject the point of view by saying the old man doesn't know what he's talking about. Instead, having two dads whom I loved forced me to think and ultimately choose a way of thinking for myself. As a process, choosing for myself turned out to be much more valuable in the long run. Rather than simply accepting or rejecting a single point of view, one of the reasons the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the middle class struggles in debt is because the subject of money is taught at home, not in school. Most of us learn about money from our parents. So what can a poor parent tell their child about money? They simply say, stay in school and study hard. The child may graduate with excellent grades, but with the poor person's financial programming and mindset. It was learned while the child was young. Money is not taught in schools. Schools focus on scholastic and professional skills, but not on financial skills. This explains how smart bankers, doctors, and accountants who earn excellent grades in schools may still struggle financially all their lives. Our staggering national debt is due in large part to highly educated politicians and government officials making financial decisions with little or no training on the subject of money. I often look ahead to the new millennium and wonder what will happen when we have millions of people who will feel need financially, who will need financial and medical assistance. They will be dependent on their families or the government for financial support. What will happen when Medicare and Social Security run out of money? How will a nation survive if teaching children about money continues to be left to parents, most of whom will be, or already are, poor? Because I had two influential fathers, I learned from both of them. I had to think about each dad's advice. In doing so, I gained valuable insight into the power and effect of one's thoughts on one's life. For example, one dad had the habit of saying, I can't afford it. The other dad forbade those words to be used. He insisted I say, how can I afford it? One is a statement and the other is a question. One lets you off the hook and the other forces you to think. My soon-to-be-rich dad would explain that by automatically saying the words, I can't afford it, your brain stops working. By asking the question, how can I afford it, your brain is put to work. 
He did not mean buy everything you wanted. He was fanatical about exercising your mind, the most powerful computer in the world. My brain gets stronger every day because I exercise it. The stronger it gets, the more money I can make. He believed that automatically saying I can't afford it was a sign of mental laziness. Although both dads worked hard, I noticed that one dad had a habit of putting his brain to sleep when it came to money matters, and the other had the habit of exercising his brain. The long-term result was that one dad grew stronger financially and the other grew weaker. It is not much different from a person who goes to the gym to exercise on a regular basis versus someone who sits on the couch watching television. Proper physical exercise increases your chances for health and proper mental and proper mental exercise increases your chances for wealth. Laziness decreases both health and wealth. My two dads had opposing attitudes and thought. One dad thought that the rich should pay more in taxes to take care of those less fortunate. The other said taxes punish those who produce and reward those who don't produce. One dad recommended study hard so you can find a good company to work for. The other recommended study hard so you can find a good company to buy. One dad said, the reason I'm not rich is because I have you kids. The other said, the reason I must be rich is because I have you kids. One encouraged talking about money and business at the dinner table. The other forbade the subject of money to be discussed over a meal. One said, when it comes to money, play it safe, don't take risks. The other said, learn to manage risk. One believed our home is our largest investment and our greatest asset. The other believed... My house is a liability, and if your house is your largest investment, you're in trouble. Both dads paid their bills on time, yet one paid his bills first while the other paid his bills last. One dad believed in a company or the government taking care of you and your needs. He was always concerned about pay raises, retirement plans, medical benefits, sick leave, vacation days, and other perks. He was impressed with two of his uncles who joined the military and earned a retirement and entitlement package for life after 20 years of active service. He loved the idea of medical benefits and PX privileges the military provides its retirees. He also loved the tenure system available through university. The idea of job protection for life and job benefits seemed more important at times than the job. He would often say, I've worked hard for the government and I'm entitled to these benefits. The other believed in total financial self-reliance. He spoke out against the entitlement mentality and how, it would, how, and how it was creating weak and financially needy people. He was emphatic about being financially competent. One dad struggled to save a few dollars. The other simply created investments. One dad struggled to save a few dollars. The other simply created investments. One dad taught me how to write an impressive resume so I could find a good job. The other taught me how to write strong business and financial plans so I could create jobs. Being a product of two strong dads allowed me the luxury of observing the effects different thoughts have on one's life. I noticed that people really do shape their life through their thoughts. For example, my poor dad always said, I'll never be rich, and that prophecy became reality. My rich dad, on the other hand, always referred to himself as rich. He would say things like, I'm a rich man, and rich people don't do this. Even when he was flat broke after a major financial setback, he continued to refer to himself as a rich man. He would cover himself by saying, there is a difference between poor and being broke. 
Broke is temporary and poor is eternal. My poor dad would also say, I'm not interested in money or money doesn't matter. My rich dad always said, money is power. The power of our thoughts may never be measured or appreciated, but it becomes obvious to me as a young boy to be aware of my thoughts and how I express myself. Oh, sorry, I said it became obvious to me as a young boy to be aware of my thoughts and how I express myself. I noticed my poor dad was poor, not because of the amount of money he earned, which was significant, but because of his thoughts and actions. As a young boy, having two fathers, I became acutely aware of being careful with which, be careful which thoughts I chose to adopt as my own. Whom should I listen to, my rich dad or my poor dad? Although both men had tremendous respect for education and learning, they disagreed in what they thought was important to learn. One wanted me to study hard, earn a degree, and get a good job to work for money. He wanted me to study to become a professional, an attorney, or an accountant, or to go to business school for my MBA. The other encouraged me to study to be rich, to understand how money works, and to learn how to have it work for me. I don't work for money, were the words he would repeat over and over. Money works for me. At the age of nine, I decided to listen to and learn from my rich dad about money. In doing so, I chose not to listen to my poor dad, even though he was the one with all the college degrees. And there you have it. That's chapter one. Matter of fact, that's really not even a whole chapter one. That's like four pages of this entire book. If you didn't get it all, I recommend you go back and listen to that part. I mean, there were so many nuggets and so many pieces of wisdom in there. It's really easy to kind of look over it, especially if it's your first time even hearing any of this stuff. So now what I want to do is go over a few of the main lessons uh, that are kind of covered in this book that I took from it. And then we'll close out. And just real quick, uh, the first one is that what I learned about uh, what the difference between rich and poor people is and even middle class is that rich, the rich don't work for money. Right. And when I first heard that, I was like, well, well what you mean rich don't work for money? Don't, you know, they're rich people. Of course they work for money. If they didn't work for money, they wouldn't be rich, right? But that's my limited thinking. Actually, the rich don't work for money. They work to have money work for them. Um, and that was a big mind shift change for me because um, I couldn't think of any other ways or anything else to, you know, even how to translate that, to be honest with you. But just having that simple thought in your head can change your trajectory. If you can just go, well, if I stop working for money, what that does, it takes the power of money away, right? And then it puts the choices back into your hand. Um, the second lesson is uh, he talks about financial literacy and why even teach financial literacy. Um, in 94, he was talking about how him and his wife, they, re, uh, they retired at like the age of 47. I think his wife was 37. And this is how they defined retirement. Retirement does not mean not working to my wife and me. It means that barring unforeseen cataclysmic changes, we can work or not work. And our wealth grows automatically staying way ahead of inflation. I guess it means freedom the assets are large enough to grow by themselves, and it's like planting a tree. You water it for years, and then one day it doesn't need you anymore. It roots 
its roots have gone down deep enough and then the tree provides shade for your enjoyment. When I heard that, I was like, man, that's, that's real good. Uh, see, I like that definition of retirement, not the technical definition of retirement, or even how we are taught retirement today when we, we try to save up as much money as possible and then, you know, die before you run out of your money. But he goes on to say this, and I thought this was a really good, good lesson um, and very relevant. Even if you think about when this book was published, this book was published in 97, right? And think about the things you heard in that first chapter about how he's kind of afraid of the new millennium and how he may be afraid that more and more people become financially dependent on uh, the system and healthcare and all that good stuff. And, you know, of course, we're already there and we're heading that way. And it's, it's not getting any easier. It won't get any easier, guys, unless we take control of it ourselves, unless we get our money right. Like, literally. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to, to do this podcast. But real quick, he says that, um, here, I'm concerned that too many people are focused too much on money and not their greatest wealth, with, which is their education. If people are prepared to be flexible, keep an open mind, and learn, they will grow richer and richer through changes. Richer and richer through the changes. If they think money will solve problems, I'm afraid those people will not. Will, I'm afraid those people will have a rough ride. Intelligence solves problems and produces money. Money without financial intelligence is money soon gone. Most people fail to realize that in life, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you can keep. And that's real strong. That's something that I keep uh, at the top of mind all the time. It's, it's not how much I can make, not how much I can earn, but how much can I keep? And not in a way that it's fearful that I'm, I'm so afraid of losing money or that I'm, I'm so greedy that I hold on every little bit. We give a lot. Um, and I encourage everybody to give a lot. But it's important to understand these simple processes around uh, education of your, your financial literacy. And when I say financial literacy, and it's not even necessarily like knowing what a stock is, what a bond is, what a 401k or IRA, those are technical things. But if you don't know how to apply those things to your life and your overall purpose, we kind of get thrown off. We get bamboozled. We get sold down the river and we get tricked easily. Uh, he goes on to talk about uh, probably the most important rule in financial literacy, and that's understanding the difference between an asset and a liability. And understand that uh, to get ahead, to build generational wealth, you have to get to the point to where you're purchasing assets. Now, this book at the time caused a lot of ruckus because he challenged the notion um, that your house was an asset. He actually, in fact, at least one of the first people that I ever heard say, that your house is not an asset, it's a liability. And he defines assets and liabilities really simple. An asset is anything that puts money in your pocket. A liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. So to put it this way, if you were to lose your job, will your house feed you or will your house eat you? Does your house bring in income? Or does it take out expenses, right? It's real simple. And though technically, yes, your house has value, right? You could sell it, things like that. But 
it's not bringing money in. And if everybody thought about that when it came to investing, that if it's not bringing me money in, if it's not getting me income, because that's what we really want, right? We want income. If we're not giving, giving us income, it's probably not a good financial investment, at least not for the majority of us, right? Because we're still in that range where we're earning more money. Most of us are earning money from our jobs or we're starting businesses. We're not there. We haven't gotten to that point where we start transferring uh, dollars into to assets that are throwing off more dollars. Most of us are working for somebody else. We're trading our time for dollars. Um, but in order for us to get out of that situation, we have to be forward thinking and thinking about how do we take these dollars and convert them over into assets that will feed us and our families, not only today or tomorrow, but for generations to come. But, you know, he goes on in this in this lesson about financial literacy about, you know, when we do get income, what do we do with it? So poor people, uh, when poor people get income. They get their money and it goes right back out in expenses, right? So if I make $1,000 a month, I spend $1,000 a month, then there's nothing left, right? That's, that's kind of the cycle of the poor. There's no room um, or not even a thought process as to where or how you can purchase assets to maybe produce you more income. It's just, it's survival, right? I got to eat. I got to keep these lights on. I got to keep this roof over my head. And if I get a little bit of extra money, I'm probably going to spend it because, you know, I didn't really get to do anything nice for myself, you know, because that's that's basically the pattern of the poor. The, the pattern of the the middle class is a little different, but it's just like the poor. The difference is middle class, they get they got their job, they get their money, they go buy liabilities. Right. Or they go get payments, i.e. a mortgage, car notes, loans on um, their new boat. Uh, loans on the new TV, you know, things like that. And that's the difference between the poor and the middle class. And that noise you just heard is a child in my background making a ton of noise. Please forgive me. But that's, that's the middle class, right? The middle class, and I'm part of that, I think, kind of. Um, we go out and we, we get car notes and we get mortgages and stuff like that. But it's this borrowing of money without a plan that has gotten us in trouble that we've gotten into as a country. It's also given rise to the, you know, the, the financial uh, entertainers, uh, people that, you know, talk about becoming debt free and the, the big movement of people trying to get out of debt because we're now recognizing that, you know, something is wrong. And we're making pretty decent money for the most part. If you're in the United States and you have a job, to be honest with you, you're in the top 1% of all income earners in the world. You know, if you think globally, which you should be thinking anyway, you're not poor in the sense that you don't have resources, right? But it's what we do with that money that makes the difference. And what we've done is we've borrowed our futures to buy things that we want today. Cars, houses, TVs you know, all that good stuff. And that's the difference. So then he goes on, he talks about what the rich do. Now the rich or the wealthy, you do things a little bit different. So we've been taught that rich people are greedy and they go out and they rob people or they steal or they got to take from somebody in order to create that wealth. I'm going to say, yes, that does happen on occasion, but that's not the majority, right? I, I refuse to believe that because uh, I've met 
quite a few very wealthy people and they've been some of the 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 most amazing people I've ever met in my life. They've been some of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. But that's another tangent. But how do the rich people bring an income and what do they do with it then? So what wealthy people do is they take that money and they go purchase assets that will then turn around and deliver them more income, right? So for example, in the book, Kiyosaki talks about how he wanted this Porsche. Now, he could have gone and looked into his bank account and said, okay, I can afford this Porsche. I can pay for it cash or I can get a loan or whatnot. But he didn't do any of that. What he decided to do was to go out and find a, an asset that can deliver or shoot off enough income to pay for a lease or the note on the Porsche. Now, he didn't go into details whether or not he had a lease or, lease or a note or whatnot. But I want you to understand the concept so what he did was instead of just using his money, he went out, purchased a piece of property. The rents threw off enough cash flow to where now that cash flow was paying for that luxury. Right. So not what he had in his bank account, not what we are, not what our paychecks are doing, but an asset that's delivering income to pay for his luxuries. So every month as the rent was being paid, it covered his Porsche. It was independent of whether or not he worked or not because he had already done the work. He did the work by finding a property, doing whatever he needs to do with the property, having a tenant in there, and then collecting the cash flow that comes from it. So he disconnected his ability to work with the income, right? So if he loses an arm today, the rental property will still give him cash flow and he can still pay for his Porsche. Hope that makes sense. And if we can kind of grasp that simple thing that if we can learn different ways to pay for the luxuries that we want in life instead of trading time for dollars, because let's face it, there's only so much time in a day, right? So you're limited on your income. And, and, and the way we're going, if we don't change our behaviors, we're never going to make enough money, right? Because every time we make an extra $500, what happens to it? We lose it, right? It just disappears. You're like, man, I know I just got to raise it, but it doesn't feel like it. So we need to change our behaviors. But that's a whole nother show. So real quick, I'm going kind of long. I'm going to zip through the rest of these couple of lessons is the rich mind their own business. Basically, the rich start their own businesses. If you want to be wealthy, it behooves you to figure out how to start your own business. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm not entrepreneurial and yada, yada, yada. But it's a skill just like anything else. It's something that could be learned just like anything else. And to be honest with you, to be an entrepreneur, all it is is trying to solve problems that other people have. So if you can find problems that other people have and you can deliver a solution to them in a simple and easy way, what makes them want to pay you for it, that's entrepreneurship, right? You may have some problems that bother you every day. You probably have a ton of ideas in your head that you've just been afraid to execute on. Don't be afraid execute on it. Uh, he goes on to say that the rich people start corporations and they pay taxes differently. So if you earned income in this, in this country, especially if you're single, no children, you pay the highest taxes out of anybody uh, in this country. It's, you know, fair or unfair. That's the way it is, right? The problem is not whether you're single or have children or, or anything like that. The problem is the people who work for corporations, we earn our money, we get, we pay taxes on it, and then we get to spend what's left. Companies or corporations or businesses, they earn their money, they spend what they can, and then they pay taxes on what's left. It's subtle, but it's a huge difference. You know, we'll, we'll dig into that uh, a little bit later. 
He also says that the rich people, they invent money, right? So just to put it real simply, if you look at Beyonce, right? Beyonce at any time can invent money, right? All she has to do, which I know it's oversimplified, right? But if Beyonce needs some money, she gets in the studio and puts out another album, right? Releases it. Boom. We gonna buy it, right? That's how she invents. That's how she creates her own money. That intellectual property is one of the best ways to create uh, residual income and money out of thin air. And there's some other sophisticated ways to do that. But basically, you know, you want to be able to get to the point to where you can educate yourself enough to where you can create money. And again, I think the the biggest lesson is we have to start thinking how to create an income that doesn't require us to use our, our labor and use our back, our own muscles, our own energy. And I think we can do that. I think we can do that. So, man, I've been talking for a long time. This is, I hope this was helpful, right? I hope this was helpful. If you have not read this book, I really encourage you to go read it, right? I'll have a link to the book on Amazon uh, in the show notes. If you go over to uh, yourmoneyright.com, it's yourmoneyright.com. You can look over in the podcast section. You'll see the show and I'll have some notes from the show there. So you can kind of peruse, send me an email, Hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Let me know what you think. I really want to know what you think and see if we're heading in the right direction. I want to know some things you guys want to cover, what you want to talk about so we can, so I can better serve you as best as possible. Of course, I have my own ideas, but I want this to be something that we can do and grow together, uh, especially you. You're listening to me now. It's early and you're putting up with this. And uh, I really do appreciate that. So that's it for the show. And remember... I truly believe we're not good with money because we don't talk about money. It's time to change that. Thank you so much. Remember to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we'll talk to you next time. God bless. I said we're talking about money.